This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, for today's show on the power of lifelong learning, especially for women who are ready to move into the leadership ranks. My guest today is the new academic director of Wharton's Executive Development Program. It's an intense two-week course that prepares fast-track leaders to move from mastery of a single-focused area to success in a much broader role, priming them for really great leadership responsibility in even the largest companies and organizations. Um, Talking to us today about all of this, this new academic director is Patty Williams. She's the Ira A. Lippman Associate Professor of Marketing here at the Wharton School. And before I bring her into the conversation, I'm going to tell you a little more about her. Patty is an extraordinarily accomplished scholar and educator who's been the recipient of multiple awards for excellence in teaching here at Wharton. And if you know anything about our faculty, that's quite an accomplishment because there are a lot of good ones out there. As she's an expert um, on a lot of different things, but in particular, how emotions influence consumer decisions. And she brings her wisdom to students at every level undergraduate, MBA, and executive education. She served as the academic dean for the Global Marketing University at the S.D. Lauder Companies, and she's bringing all of this to bear on her newest role as academic director of Wharton's Executive Management Program, and I couldn't be more excited to have her here today. Patty, welcome. Thanks so much, Laura. It's great to be here. Before we start talking about how we're going to help everyone listening take the next steps in their career, um, I want to talk about yours for a minute. You've been you know, a beloved and respected faculty member here at Wharton for a while now. What does it mean to you to take on this responsibility of the executive management program? Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, I've been here at Wharton for about 18 years, um, teaching at all different levels, as you said. Um, I particularly enjoy teaching in our executive education programs because it's an opportunity to have a real immediate impact on business. These are people coming in from their jobs, you know, taking a few days or a few weeks away, and they they have real issues that they want to find solutions for. So I love the opportunity to have executives in the classroom. Um, I learn a lot, and I hope they learn a lot in the process. Um, Wharton's EDP um, has been going, it's been running for many, many years here um, in executive education. Really successful program, runs three times a year. Um, my colleague, Pete Fader, in the marketing department has been the faculty director for many years and decided he was ready to move on to something different. And so when executive education came to me, um, I was thrilled to have the opportunity. Um, there's never been a woman who's been the faculty director of this program before. So um, this is big stuff. It is big stuff. And it was something that really spoke to me. Um, it's one of the sort of jewels in the crown of executive education, if you will. It's one of the, the biggies and the opportunity to and I think the responsibility to be a woman in that program um, and to play a role um, for these senior leaders as they think about what that next step is for them is um, a great moment. So there are many of us who consider, do I want the next opportunity or when somebody actually comes knocking? Um, I know I've had at this moment of pause. Can I take on another thing? How do I juggle it? What does it mean to step into the next role, even when I'm ambitious? Um, Tell us what else is on your plate right now and how are you grappling at that moment of choice? 
Yeah. Well, this is, a, I think, a difficult question for everyone and a, definitely a difficult question for me. So um, when I'm not in the executive education classroom, I have classes that I teach here. I'm teaching a branding class to undergraduates and one to MBAs. Um, I'm teaching a PhD seminar at the moment. Um, you know, I serve as an associate editor for one of the major journals in the field. I've just taken on the role of president-elect for one of our major societies. Um, and I'm a mom um, and, a, and a wife. And so, you know, there are plenty of things I have on my plate. Um, and I haven't always been good at thinking strategically about those things. I, I'm ambitious. I love to do things that excite me. And I haven't always been good at saying no, quite honestly. So when this opportunity came, I really gave it a lot of thought, actually. It took me a little while to make this decision because it is a big commitment. Um, it's six weeks a year, and that's a pretty intensive six weeks, um, not to mention all the time we spend, um, you know, rethinking the curriculum and, you know, trying to make sure that we're delivering the best content and the best experience that we can to our participants. Um, so I went home and I had some conversations, you know, they're going to be six weeks a year when I'm a little out of pocket. How do you feel about that? <laughs> um, and then I really thought long and hard about what I might be willing to give up in order to do this. Actually, a student a handful of years ago gave me a book that I have referred to many times. It's called Essentialism. And it's the idea that, you know, you got to really think about what is essential to you. And, of course, that saying no to some opportunities means that you can say yes to others. And so I did indeed um, sit back and say, I'm going to say no to a couple of things. And I immediately pulled myself out of some things. Um, that's hard for me to do personally. I think it's hard for a lot of people to do. Um, but I couldn't do all of those things and, you know, think that I could maintain my sanity, essentially. Okay, so I want to drill into this for yeah. a little bit because it's like each of us has to figure out what's our criteria for yes and what's our criteria for no. So it sounded like you checked in at home to make sure there was support from your partner and your yes. family. And it sounds like there was. There was, yes. And that makes a big difference. It does make a big difference. And um, also to make sure that you weren't overextending yourself, that you could bring your, your standard level of excellence to this. And so it meant some other things had to go away. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of things, though, that want your attention where you can make an impact and be excellent. You know, we hear it in your teaching, in your research. Um, what was it about this that made you say, is there anything else about impact that made you want to do this? Yeah. Well, so I think a couple of things. I mean, one, as you say, I think it really is an opportunity to have impact um, in a handful of ways. And I sort of uh, tried to think through what were the different kinds of impact that I can have. One is um, just within the institution, stepping up as a woman to be a mm -hmm. leader of this very important program. Um, and um, there was an opportunity to do some redesign and to try to think about what that might look like as well. Um, some changes had occurred in the program more generally, and so there was an opportunity for me to say, what would great content look like? Um, and so that was something I really um, thought was an opportunity as well. And it, um, well, we can talk more about it, but it really gave me an opportunity to reach across Wharton and Penn in ways that I had not had the opportunity to do before. So there was um, something that really meant a lot to me there personally as well. You know, third, I think um, I personally am at a stage in my career where I want to do things that make me feel good. Um, and the opportunity to maybe be a catalyst for someone's professional life feels good. Um, and it? so, yeah, it really does. Um, I love doing that with my students, but to do this, you know, with more immediacy mm -hmm. um, and to have that interaction right back in the classroom, um, it really just felt like something that I would personally find rewarding and that would make each of those six weeks I spend doing it something I was rushing to get to. <laughs> 
<laughs> Those all sound like fantastic reasons to me, and they hit home for me. Also, as a um, somebody who's done curriculum design, I find it fascinating, and um, part of it's the impact, part of it's being creative. And like you said, it's the, that interdisciplinary collaboration. You learn so much when you do it. Absolutely. And hopefully create something that's an experience for other people. Um, one of the things you had mentioned to me when we were talking earlier was that there's a particular opportunity that comes with you leading the program now, and that's bringing more women into it. Talk to me about how you're thinking about that and why that matters. Sure. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, it matters because I'm a woman. Um, and I think that just naturally, you know, thinking about women's leadership um, and what it means to be a professional working woman, um, particularly at a stage in your career where you have the opportunity to go to the most senior ranks of an organization. And we know that, you know, in most places in the world, there aren't enough women mm -hmm. in senior leadership roles. So um, that's something that's just important to me kind of personally. Um, you know, looking at EDP over time, um, one of the things that stood out is while there are women in every running of the program, they're a minority. Um, we're, you know, somewhere between, let's say, 15 to 20, 25 percent of participants um, in each of these runnings per year is women. Um, and it's kind of not surprising. It matches the patterns we see in the corporate pipeline. No, I think that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, one thing we've been very fortunate with, we have a handful of companies who send participants every time we run an EDP. Um, and they're quite good about sending women um, leaders to, to EDP so that we really benefit from their commitment as organizations to developing um, leadership capabilities among their most senior women. Um, but I would love to see more women um, who have the opportunity to benefit from this kind of an experience because I really do think it can be a catalyst. Um, we know, right, that the, the number of women who get promoted at those most senior levels um, are lower than we would like them to be. And sometimes it's because, you know, they might be missing a critical skill or a critical perspective or a critical credential um, or a, a critical perception of how they're being viewed within their organization. And if we can speak to that in a meaningful way, um, that's a that's real impact in the world. And that's something that just, I think, is an incredible opportunity. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zara. My guest today is Patty Williams, the Ira A. Littman Associate Professor of Marketing and, quite importantly, Academic Director of Wharton's Executive Development Program. If you've got a question for us about the program, Patty's teaching, life in general, give us a call. 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So, Patty, as you were describing that, um, you're mentioning two things that I'm really interested about. And I want to talk more in a few minutes about what the program includes so that we can – I'm interested in what are the skills that we need to develop, what's the kind of coursework that develop them. But before we even get there, you said something really interesting, which is about the perception of having skills. Mm. We know that the pipeline, um, which we talk about a lot here on Women at Work, you know, how do we help continue to bring women in with ambition and training and give them opportunity? But part of it is also making sure that they're seen and given those opportunities because they may have all those skills. So credentialing, talk to me about where and how it can be important and what does this program mean to the people around them? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, there's a lot of literature which says that um, women often have to, you know, work twice as hard, be twice as good in order to have their skills and their capabilities recognized in the workplace. Um, and in particular, um, when it comes to promotions, um, 
people often underestimate their skills. Mm-hmm. Um, this program, I think, and the fact that you leave with a certificate, you get to leave and say you have, you know, the Wharton brand attached to your LinkedIn profile or your resume or however you choose to, to use it, um, can offer some tangible evidence for those otherwise intangible skills, right? right. That, um, and I hope with a lot of credibility because it's Wharton and we have the ability <laughs> to speak with that kind of that kind of credibility. Um, I know we had a, a woman in the program um, in September, and you know one of the things she said is, my uh, senior leadership just didn't think I knew quite enough. And so I said to them, if I go to this program and I come back having learned all of this, will that be enough? And they said, yeah, I think that would be evidence that you had learned these things. And so I think there is real power for that credential and this thing that you're, you're sacrificing two weeks of your life and you're really giving your all in the classroom to, you know, being a, a moment of proof that you can offer. Also, unfortunately, a lot of women's um, ambition is doubted that there's a benevolent sexism that says, you don't really want to do this. I think what you really want is to be at home with your kids. So I'm not even (laughs) going to give you this opportunity. So it it seems to me like it's not just that you get the credential and carries the weight, but it's a big sign that you're ambitious and you're taking your ambition seriously. Absolutely. Um, I think that's exactly right. It says something about who you are as a professional um, that, you know, is genderless in many ways, right, but maybe particularly important for women. One of the things that it says also is that you're not afraid to become a student again. Talk to me about um, what do you see amongst the students, and do they, um, their confidence levels versus when they, from when they walk in from when they walk out? Yeah, great question. So let me say a little bit about the students more generally. Um, you know, we have this incredible diversity in the classroom. Um, I think in the November EDP, we had 18 countries represented. 18 countries? 18 countries across, you know, about 50 people. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Um, and so there's a huge amount of opportunity just to learn about business around the world um, and, you know, to interact with team members that you might not have had the opportunity to interact with in your professional life otherwise. And so um, that in and of itself is just remarkable. Um, I think they come in very, very hungry to learn. Um, you know, I don't think anybody signs themselves up for this two-week intense experience um, without a real understanding of what it means. And so I, I find them so eager to um, speak with the faculty, to absorb what the faculty are saying, to participate in discussions, um, to jump into all of the things that they're re- we require them to jump into. And these, these are, you know, somewhat long days. Um, and their sort of willingness to play and to engage hour after hour is really remarkable. The other thing that we find is that, you know, these are um, leaders who very often have risen to the the most senior level within their own function. And now the next level in their organization requires them to have a cross-functional perspective. So they do come in very often with some insecurities. I'm really good at finance, but I don't know anything about operations, for example. Or I'm really good at marketing, but I've never read a balance sheet and I wouldn't know how to do that. And we give them the opportunity to learn those skills from great faculty and to really get hands-on experience as well. And so you can see in the classroom where they say, I didn't think I could do this. And another one of my classmates stepped in and helped me. And now I can. Um, they leave with a you know real sense of accomplishment. There's several things in there that are really potent. So one is that, you know, we know that women, A, it reflects a kind of courage and a, an openness to learning, a bravery that all of these participants have. Um, but that also we know that there's a gender divide in our willingness 
typically to take risks and to engage in something when we're not 100% ready. We hear it from women all the time. I'm afraid to step up for that role. I don't know X percent of it. And so this becomes a really concrete way to not only build your skills, but to address that sense of yourself that prevents you from trying to take the next step. Yeah, I think that's right. It's an opportunity to build confidence. And we'll talk much more about this, I'm sure. But one of the things that's a really important part of the program is that we offer coaching. And so you, th- these participants have the opportunity to come in and say, look, I know this is holding me back in some ways. And we give them the opportunity to take their coaching advice and put it into practice over the course of those two weeks. So they can take baby steps towards doing these things in an environment that is realistic, but also um, you know, accommodating of these risks that you might be taking. So there may be people in the room who are there because I'm hungry for the next thing and I'm feeling like I'm ready, but I need to know that I have the credential and I've rounded out my skill set. And then there are people who may really be worrying, can I do this? Absolutely. But they're brave enough to give it a try. Absolutely. How do they reveal themselves to you? How do you get the sense of who's in which boat? Uh, it's a really good question. You know, I mean, the good thing is, it's a, as I said, it's a really intense experience. And so we get to know them a lot. I sit in the back of the classroom. I hear the jokes that are made, you know, between them and the faculty. You see the kinds of questions that they ask of one another um, and that they ask of us. Um, and, you know, you see you, you, they take on different roles within their groups, within the learning experience, and certainly with their coaches as they're thinking about these things. And I will also say they differ in lots of other ways, more or less self-awareness, you know, around the kinds of things that the coaches are saying. <laughs> just like all the rest yeah. of our student body and they're everybody we need at work. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They're just people in many ways. But I think because it's two weeks long and because we do have these long days, we get to know them as people. So they really do have the opportunity to reveal themselves and to make themselves uh, open to us and to one another. So this two-week intensive, they're coming, it sounds like they're coming from all over the world. Yes. Where do they stay when they do this? They stay right here on the Wharton <laughs> campus um, in our Steinberg Conference Center. So it's like they're really going to college for they two weeks. They are really <laughs> going to college for two weeks. And it is really right here on campus. And so they're, if they stepped out of the building, they would be in the middle of the Wharton sort of complex and seeing our students walk around campus. But I think commensurate with a two-week program and the fact that these are all adults, it's not including football games and frat parties. No, that's right. Um, no football games, no frat parties. Though I will tell you something we frequently do is, you know, we have outings um, on, on different nights. We might go to a Flyers game or a Sixers game or to the, you know, the uh, museums down in the city or to a brewery. And um, there's lots of opportunities for that. So there's some some fun parts. Lots of fun. Yeah. Um, You're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. And my guest today is Patty Williams, Academic Director of Wharton's Executive development program and not for nothing the IRA Lippman associate professor of marketing so patty one of the things that comes to mind when you talk about trips to the museum um, this intensive experience is it sounds like it's also there's networking that happens here do you see that these relationships can continue after the program yes absolutely um, so they um, they are put into teams Um, early on for a simulation experience. That team experience is um, incredibly well designed by um, our McNulty Leadership Center here at the Wharton School. Um, And they work with those teams quite intensely. So, of course, their team relationships are really, really well developed. 
Um, those relationships, we know they last long, long after the program in particular. But there's also lots of opportunities to interact across teams as well. Um, I'll tell you an interesting thing we did um, in November, led by Lynn Craig from McNulty. We did a reciprocity circle at the end um, where everybody had the opportunity to stand up and ask everyone else in the room for help with something they needed to do professionally or personally. Um, it was the most rewarding experience, I think. And, you know, people stood up and asked for help. I need an expert on this or I really want to learn this new skill. Do you know somebody who can help me? And all sorts of questions um, and requests for help. And the level of um, sort of openness and a willingness to contribute to one another was true. I mean, there was there was so much authenticity in it. it it was just uh, everybody left with this incredible warm glow and a real sense of bond. And I know that they followed up afterwards because I've been receiving some of these emails where they say, yeah. The rest, it's such an amazing exercise in the power of generosity. Um, there's also a little um, challenge in there that I want to ask you about. And it's just a little piece of advice giving. Um, I've been to events where we've had icebreakers and it's like, tell me something Tell us something that nobody knows about you. And in reciprocity circles, you can ask for help. Talk to me about um, where the boundaries are and how personal those kinds of requests get. It's a really good question. And we very deliberately put this reciprocity ring at the end when they already know each other. And those boundaries have been crossed a little bit. They, you know, they've, they've come to recognize one another as individuals. They really have made bonds with almost everybody in the room. And so I think they're more open to asking personal requests. And I'll be honest, the requests varied from I need an expert who can offer consulting advice to I, I want to um, have my son visit particular colleges. We're going to come out. I know some of you went to those colleges. Could we talk to you as part of that process? So really all over the place. And sometimes they really are quite vulnerable. I mean, I'll tell you, I stood up and I said, I want to increase the number of professional women in EDP. And Yay. Thank you, Patty. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And I keep getting emails. Even today, I got an email in response to that reciprocity request. And it's been heavenly. Something I want to point out, though, because I've seen um, particularly younger professionals struggle with this, that you could tell it was authentic. It was about goals that we have at work. It's about challenges that we have. But there is a place, a line, that is, becomes too personal in environments like this. And that it's um, something to be conscious of is how to, you have to calibrate where that line is. Do you have any advice, particularly for young people or people who haven't been in the workplace that long or just returning or are new to these kinds of collaborative endeavors about how to gauge how to, where, where the line is? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know if I have a great uh, piece of advice. The one thing I will say, one of the things I study is trust and you know how people build trust. And essentially, um, the academic sort of view of trust is that I trust you when I believe you're going to do what I want you to do, even if it's not what you want to do, right? So, um, and I, I used to think it was, I'm going to trust you to do what I think you're going to do. Yeah, no, but it's kind of like, can I make myself vulnerable to you? Are you right. going to do the right thing with my vulnerability, essentially, is how I think of it. Is it and safe with you? Is it safe, right? And uh, I only give you trust when I believe that it is safe. And the I think what worked very well for us is that we... We had already built trust for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think your point is really about, you know, how vulnerable can I make myself in a setting like this where I don't have an established base of trust? And maybe it's there, but maybe it's not there, right? right. And, and what kinds of requests 
are appropriate for a space that is still mostly professional, mm -hmm. even if not entirely professional. And that's all. I'm, I don't know exactly how to find that boundary, but that's a you know um, a, a potential risk. Yeah. It is. So it sounds like part of it also is to weigh out that if um, you don't yet feel safe, yes, yeah. and you feel too vulnerable, pay attention to that. I think that's right. You yes. can still ask questions and ask for support and things that can advance people you care about that can advance your work, um, and that use your own sense of safety as a barometer so that you know you can engage authentically. Yes. And, you know, I think as exactly as a barometer of how vulnerable you're willing to make yourself in that moment. It's also, I guess, useful information about where you are at that moment with that group. Incredibly self-reflective <laughs> if you think about it that way. Yeah. Um, and so with these reciprocity circles, how long, how much time does the process take? Yeah, we spent a few hours doing it, actually. Um, so, you know, and there's a lot of, there was a lot of laughter, a lot of fun in the moment, people joking and um, so it's not, you know, wasn't two hours of hard work. There was a lot of just social bonding in those two hours. And yeah. it's also amazing to see how empowered people feel, not by the asking, but by the giving. Oh, you know, um, I, gratitude is such a powerful emotion in general, right? And the opportunity for you to create gratitude in someone else. Um, I, I just was reading an article that's been going around the Internet, you know, saying if you're having a bad day, send somebody else a compliment. It'll make you feel great. And I just think there, there is um, – there's so much human – um, interaction in those moments where you give something freely of yourself and you get back this sense of gratitude. Yeah. So on top of the way that you're building this network and learning, you get these personal gifts that you're all, and you're also helping other people grow in their careers. I think that's right. And, you know, I think there's just a huge amount of energy in that that really can sustain you and empower you. And one of the nice things I love about it is that, you know, people come here for two weeks. They're a little tired when they leave. They've been away from home. <laughs> their jobs yeah. have been piling up a little bit while they've been away. Um, but what's great is that this reciprocity circle left them with more energy, right? They weren't drained. They were excited and ready to go um, when they left. That's incredibly powerful, I think. It's a testimony of the program, and it's also a testimony of the process and the journey that you take them on. Yeah. And that also how a program like this can be, despite, like you said, there's work piling up at home. There's stuff you haven't done. You stepped out of your life for a week. But the nourishment that you're getting, it sounds like it's on multiple levels. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> um, so we were talking about some of the experiences that the students have. Um, and I just couldn't resist talking about the reciprocity circle. But that happens at the end of the experience. Um, so talk to me about what are, what are the courses that comprise the program? Yeah, great question. So the program is actually, it has sort of three legs, if you will. Um, one is what I'm going to call a business acumen leg, which is where our faculty come in. Um, the second piece is we have a simulation, which gives participants an opportunity to take the learning from each of the faculty members and kind of put it into practice in a simulated business environment, fairly complex and engaging simulation. Um, and then we have a coaching piece, um, and I'll talk more about that in some detail in a few minutes. The business acumen, we cover, you know, all the basics. There's a sort of advanced marketing. There's some uh, advanced finance. We have Michael Roberts teaching finance, and he's just it's extraordinary. Just yeah, exactly. 
Um, If you don't mind, list what those things are, because I think business acumen is something that people use as an adjective sometimes, a way of describing um, a a general headset. But there are specific components here that I think are worth noting, A, because it's an attribute of the program, but also as a way of helping people out there who may not be able to participate in the program see that there are these different areas to think about learning about as you're moving up the corporate ladder? Great, great question. So we cover marketing, strategy, finance, uh, operations, um, sometimes accounting, depends on the group that we have and their sort of experience with that. Those are the the basics of business acumen. And then we add on top of that um, a negotiations all-day seminar with Richard Schell, who is extraordinary, literally wrote the book on negotiations with lots of interaction and opportunity to practice negotiations. Um, We do quite a bit on leadership. Mike Useem comes in and teaches on leadership. Um, and he, so they're getting the very best. They are getting the best faculty at the Wharton School. It's just, and for me, I have to say, it's so rare we get the opportunity to sit in the back of the room. Oh, I know. And listen to our amazing colleagues teach this material. I love being able to do that. It's I learn something new every single time I do it. So they really do get the best of the best of the Wharton School. Um, we're also um, bringing in some fireside chats where they have an opportunity to maybe learn about, you know, neuroscience as it relates to business or decision making or something along those lines that really brings in the best of Penn broadly um, and maybe an opportunity to, to learn something that might be a little bit um, unusual or, you know, not just the straightforward kind of business hacking. So it pieces. sounds like, and I want to make sure I'm getting the purpose behind it right, Yes, that by introducing, uh, by bringing in these components into the program, and this is only a two-week program. Um, It's not like an MBA that's giving you foundations in this at the beginning of your career. Is it meant to make you conversant on these things so you can start to work across the verticals? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. That's exactly what its purpose is, is to try to get you to step out of your own perspective in the organization and see the kinds of issues and the kinds of strategic questions that have to be answered when you're looking across all disciplines. When You know, you might have been leading an operations group before, but now you're an SVP and you work with marketing and operations and maybe with finance in order to integrate strategy. So they're at a high level for people who are experienced and, you know, have some uh, past experience with other people in other disciplines, but maybe don't speak that language fluently themselves or haven't had to make those decisions themselves. Um, So you get the opportunity to learn um, and to bring your own business problems into the classroom. The faculty are extraordinarily um, flexible with making it real and situating into the um, problems and the opportunities that our participants say they're facing themselves. So this sounds like a powerful mechanism to become an organizational thinker. Um, You know, my area of specialty is higher ed. I came up initially through admissions, and when I went to a higher ed program, all of a sudden I saw governance and budgets and facilities and law in a whole different way. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. At this stage of career, though, are there things that you have to unlearn in order to – it sounds like you've, you've been going deep and long. How do you – is there a way that you have to shift your thinking in order to start working broadly? Yes. Um, and I would say a couple things about that. One is, you know, they have to go from their well-honed – Um, well-rewarded if they've gotten to this stage in their careers, you know, sort of specialist mindset 
to a much more generalist and strategic mindset. And we also spend some time thinking about, you know, what are the biases that we know drive decision making? How do we, you know, sort of get out of the blinders that we're used to using when we make decisions? Um, and one of those sort of mantras that I'm bringing to the classroom is um, a little bit of a statement where we say, you know, leave what you know at the door. You, you have a lot that you know here. But while you're here, you know, every time you bring up a question or you have a comment you want to make, can you preface it with something like, I don't know, I'm not entirely sure, but what I think is. And, you know, so that there is this humility and you're trying to step outside of what you know to be sure um, and let go of some of that certainty and that um, adamancy, if you will, about your <laughs> sort of discipline or your well-honed perspective being the only perspective or the right perspective. That's probably I know that's often hard for me. Is it hard for people to do? It's hard. They get better at it over time, in my experience, especially, you know, where they start to be quite strident about something. Their classmates will nudge them and <laughs> remind them. I'm not sure, but, you know, so it works pretty well. Actually. So it sounds like it, you're not only teaching them the substance, but also ways to interact with each other so that they can better learn from each other that model some behavior they could take back to work with them. Yeah, we certainly hope so. And sort of beyond the doing that in the business acumen, one of the things we really try to do is um, teach them um, skills um, through experience that help them both to be a better group member when they get back to the office and also to be a better group leader. So there's a real, you know, uh, mindful process of what it looks like to form well-functioning groups. We try to build that in and model it for them as we form their groups. And then we try to say, how would you use this if you had to lead a group or you had to tell somebody else to form a group? So when you form these groups quite consciously, um, do you reveal to them why they're in a group together? No, we never reveal to them. Um, I mean, other than I will say we're trying to get some diversity in the groups by industry, by region, um, okay. you know, by so level of expertise. some of it will be evident. Some of it is evident. Um, I will say one of the issues related to women is that we try very hard um, not to have a woman who's the only woman on any one of these teams. Because we know being the only is hard. It is hard. And so much of this, right, especially at senior levels, like 40 to 50 percent of senior women say they're very often the only woman in the room. Yeah, so that's the experience they're having all the time. All the time. And so we go out of our way to make sure that there are at least two women on every team so that no one bears that burden of being an only um, really, really important to us. And I think so important for the women to build that community and that commitment and not kind of bear the extra scrutiny mm -hmm. that they often would bear in that environment. So you were mentioning before about learning skills that you can apply. Talk to me about the simulation. Yeah. So, this so is you say simulation, and I picture, like, immersive VR. I, <laughs> is it play acting? What is it? I wish it were immersive VR. That's, <laughs> that's our next step. I would love that. We get them all in their little, their little headsets, and they <laughs> walk around the world. So it is a, a world where they are selling products, and some of them are set up as manufacturers. Some of them, they manufacture the products. Others are service providers. I won't give you all the details about it. They're doing this across regions of the globe. Some regions are better markets than others. They're setting up manufacturing and so service. So it's, it's a form regions. of informed role playing. It's a form of informed role playing. And they really do role play. We have um, people who come in and they play government. And if you need to, you know, negotiate 
um, access to leases or, you know, um, to the market. You have to go and you have to negotiate with the government. And they are, you know, sort of negotiators negotiate pretty hard. So there's an opportunity to kind of learn through all of those things. And then, of course, they're making marketing decisions, financial decisions, operational decisions, um, strategic decisions, really using what they've learned from the business acumen pieces in the classroom. So it sounds like one outcome of that process is how successfully did they reach whichever goal their role was trying to achieve? Yes. And we, I will tell you this is, um, we really think of it as a triple bottom line. So of course, they're returning value to shareholders. They're also trying to satisfy their customers. And then we're also thinking about how much good are you doing in these markets that you might have been in? Um, and are you really helping them do the kinds of things that governments in those regions are trying to do? So we're really trying to make it as realistic as possible. I'll also say this is the simulation that our Wharton seniors do as their capstone experience. Um, so it's we developed it with EDP, and then they adopted it within the undergraduate capstone experience. And it's an amazing, amazing, really deeply engrossing simulation. Yeah, and it sounds like it has a profound impact. It really afterwards. does. Yes. This is Women at Work, and I'm your host, Laura Sarrow. I am talking with Patty Williams who's the Academic Director of Wharton's Executive Development Program. If you have a question, a comment, or you just want to join in the fun, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So in simulations like this, um, and I've seen them play out in short-term workshops where you don't have a lot of time to process, like three hours, and you get a taste for what's at hand and some takeaways that maybe the faculty member can give you broadly. But you're in an intensive with them. Um, am I right in guessing that there's also some follow-up or some place where they get some input on how they engaged in the simulation? Yes, in a couple of ways. So first I will say the simulation itself is spread across multiple days. Um, in the two-week program. So it's not an everyday occurrence. We don't you know, want it to be the only thing that they're doing. Um, but yes, so they start to learn some content, and then they start to put that content into practice with their teams in the simulation for a few hours at each time. They do multiple rounds, so they get some feedback they get to see. Who's buying? Why are they buying? How much money are you making? You're getting raided by the government, you know, all of those sorts of things. So you really are getting some feedback about your level of success. We also are trying to push them to be reflective. So what did you learn? How did you put that into practice? And what kinds of outcomes did you achieve? Where was that learning difficult to implement? Um, where did you think you were doing it right, but then it didn't go the way you planned in the marketplace? Why might that have been the case? So from a pedagogical perspective, you're introducing topics, having them put it to use. They're getting immediate feedback on the effectiveness with which they're putting to use and ways of then reframing it to help them internalize it more deeply. That's exactly right. And then we always try to link it back to how does this relate back to your job at, at home. So is there a way that this particular, let's say, marketing strategy has implications, even if you're not a marketer in your organization? Do you see your organization doing something like this? Do you see them not doing something like this? Do they take on roles in the simulation that are allowed to match what they do at we, their primary job, or do they have to do just the opposite? They do sometimes, but we do try to get them to step out of their comfort zone for at least one of the rounds. So if you come in and you're really finance phobic, we are going to ask you to be the CFO for one of those rounds. Um, and you might ask someone on the team who really does have those skills to mentor you in that process. So you get some feedback and some interaction. Here's what I'm doing well. You know, you don't have to fear like you're going to drive your team into, you know, bankruptcy. Um, but you really step up and try to take on that role. And we really encourage them to do that. It sounds, you know, as if it also gives them, it's not just a way of learning, but it exposes them to what it's like to kind of be on the field with the ball in play 
with these kinds of conversations, once again, going across areas of focus and not just within them. I think the discourse is very different when you're working in your own area. Exactly right. And nobody else in the room is working in your own area in the simulation, right? They have a different area. That's exactly right. How does this plug into coaching? Great question. So let me speak a little bit about the coaching. I'll come back to how it plugs in. So the first thing that we do is um, everyone who comes to EDP participates in a 360 before they arrive. And so, describe what a 360 yeah, is for people so who don't know. So we have a, a, a formal sort of questionnaire, and we ask them to you know, have eight or ten people um, that they know in their professional life or um, maybe important sort of volunteer roles or family roles to complete this questionnaire. And they assess you know, how good Patty is, for example, um, on leadership, on communication, on delegation, on, you know. Now, is this done anonymously? It is done anonymously. Okay. So you can, so people can give the feedback freely. I, absolutely. And you can absorb it without the particular pain of knowing exactly who said it. Yes, absolutely the case. Okay. Um, and so everybody comes in with, you know, feedback from eight to 10 people whose feedback they think is quite important. Um, they are assigned a coach and the coach works with the team. Um, so they, um, the coach is assigned to the sort of team interaction okay. as well as to the individuals. So, so in the same way when people have executive coaches as professionals in the workplace who work with them individually but observe exactly. them in their meetings, the same thing is playing out within the program. That's right. And the simulation gives us the opportunity to actually have coaching like it would look in the workplace. That's amazing. No, it's amazing. And the coaches are extraordinary. The, the level of Our coaching skill, staff is unbelievable. They truly, truly are. And I've seen them, you know, people leave after these two weeks saying, it changed my life. Um, and that is really incredible. I have to I have to confess I've never had the benefit of coaching. And um but and I used to be very afraid of it. Yes. Because it seemed like you are signing up to get a lot of criticism. Yes. How do you help prepare <laughs> the participants for this? Yeah. And how do they m- move through that process? Yeah. So great question. So first let me say everyone gets two individual coaching sessions. So based on the 360 your coach will meet with you the first week. They often try to help you come up with specific goals that you have in mind and come up with a plan for how you can do that over the course of the two weeks. Um, They also observe your team, as I said, and then they come back to you with an individual coaching session in the second week. So the coaching isn't just what somebody else thinks you should be working on. It's informed by where you're trying to go. That's right. So you have your feedback, you have your own view, um, and then you have this experienced professional coach. It is certainly the case that coaching can be difficult, and some people are intimidated when they first arrive, right? I feel like I'm going to get negative feedback, and this is going to be about all the things I'm not doing well. And again, um, we have coaches who are understanding that there's discomfort here, right? And we're often going to be asking you to do things that you don't want to do, to change behaviors that you do because they're comfortable, and to move into behaviors that might be more uncomfortable. But these are the most empowering coaches ever, honestly. They just are, it's about how can we help you be who you want to be? um, And how can we give you the advice and the support to help you achieve that? So I don't know if you know this about me, Patty, but I have a background in the arts. And at um, in professional art school training, (laughs) criticism is a serious part of every single day. In fact, everything you do is put on the wall and criticized by everybody in the room. um, And this happens every single day. One of the things that in that milieu helps us not just learn to deal with it, but actually seek it out and crave it, is that everyone there is so passionate about being better. 
about improving and growing and doing great work that you wind up seeking it out and you're hungry for it. What's the culture in the classroom and how do people go from the I'm frightened place to please give me more? Yeah, well, I would say a couple of things. I mean, one is I think that everybody in that classroom is there because they are hungry. They want that next level of success or opportunity, whatever it might be. Um, and everybody there knows that they're coming in and they're going to have this coaching, right? And It's part of what they're signing It's part of for. what they're doing. And probably I, what's drawing them. Absolutely. And then one of the things I will say is some people, they really do struggle. This is hard. Um, and sometimes it means recognizing a part of yourself that you might not be comfortable recognizing. And this is where I've seen our coaches just be extraordinary, where they say, is there an area that we can carve out that you are willing to work on while you're here? So let's we, we don't have to touch the things that you're less comfortable going to. Let's come close and let's start there. And then they build this cycle of trust and this process by which I've seen even the most reluctant sort of coaching recipients open themselves up to this opportunity once they start to build that um, comfort level um, and that sense of trust. That really is just incredible. This is Women at Work, and I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm talking with Patty Williams, the academic director of Wharton's Executive Development Program. So, Patty, when you talk about that kind of experience of getting the feedback, learning to accept it, and it's being delivered by these really expert coaches. And I know some of them. They're brilliant. They're kind. They're insightful. Are they also getting academic feedback from the faculty? Are the coaches or are the students? students. The students are, yes. Um, in a couple of ways, um, through the simulation, right? And so um, there's a really elaborate debriefing process where we have the opportunity to say, here's what you did, and we're getting them to reflect on what they did and why they did it. Um, and then, of course, the coaches are also part of that debriefing process. What was your process like beyond your, you know, how you implemented the strategic perspectives? What was the process by which you got here? Um, did anybody push too hard in a way that, you know, was detrimental to the team overall? Could anybody have stepped up better in a way that might have been more helpful to the team overall? So both of those pieces kind of coming through at every single round. Yes. So I want to ask that question, but I want to make it in turn about you. Okay. So not unlike your students, yeah. you used to have a role within the program as yeah. an instructor, correct? Yes. Yeah. And now it's your job to look at it across. How are you preparing to move out of your vertical and into this broader scope? Yeah, really good question. So uh, first of all, I will tell you I have been sitting in for the past year um, just getting a feel for what is this um, this program, um, besides the little sliver I might have known, what does it look like holistically? Um, learning the faculty that are, you know, the content that our faculty are delivering, sitting at lunches with participants, asking them, why and are you, you here? did you ask to do that? Or I did. is that part of the gig? Yeah, I asked. I said, I'm willing to do this, but I'm not ready to walk in right away. I would like to, you know, basically I apprenticed for, uh, you know, six months, essentially. I want to pause on this for a second because I think there's something really powerful in this. Because I know we're talking about um, an amazing program that um, lots of people could benefit from. Not everybody will get a chance to take. Hopefully our conversation today is inspiring people to realize that um, there are all different ways to learn these things, but that one of the first steps you took is a step that anybody could take who's interested in moving up to the next level, which is, can I shadow you? Yes, absolutely. And that's really what I did. I just said I would, m more than um, I want to lead um, at the moment, I want to listen. Um, and I just really felt that grounding myself in um, – the program as it existed, making observations about what I thought were its relative strengths and weaknesses, where there were things that could be improved, 
um, where there were things that were already amazing um, and, you know, making sure that I don't overthrow any of that amazing stuff. It's a funny, I love that you say that because one of the things that I've learned after um, doing innovation for a lot of years is that if you're not careful, you will miss what's good and you may actually erode it as you're working to change things that are bad or bring in new ideas. Um, so I love that you went in and were conscious. Did you walk in the door conscious enough or did it, um, did you have to get rid of some preconceived notions? Um, I think I walked in the door conscious enough, but I will tell you there are, um, you know, the way the program has been delivered over time might not be the way I would originally have put it together. There are things that I wouldn't have a priori thought would work. And yet, as I was sitting there, I was like, oh, wow, that really works. It's amazing. And that's where I think that offering myself the opportunity to sit there with a slightly more detached perspective was really, Mm -hmm. you know, valuable to see that beyond what I thought would be the right thing, I could observe that what what actually was the right thing. It it also says to me that you came in with curiosity and some humility. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's um, plenty I don't know. Which is also (laughs) part of who you are, but it's also that um, that humility and that respect um, and the understanding of the complexity of it grew as you sat in as an apprentice. It definitely did. And, you know, going back to that phrase, there's plenty I don't know. Um, and I, you know, here's what I think, but let's see. Um, I will also say we really, um, in the process of this past year, we changed up the typical evaluation process. We asked some slightly different questions that got at some of the questions I had as I was sitting in the room. And so we were also able to put that good Wharton data-driven, you know, process into place to say, here's what I think, but does the data bear this out? So if you were going to give advice to somebody else who wants to go and shadow with the... Um, you know, with the understanding that they're being groomed to lead, what advice would you give them about how to do it effectively and respectfully for the people they're shadowing? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, one of the best things about this is that I had my colleague, Pete, um, who I was shadowing and who I have known for many years, which makes it a little bit easier. And who's a brilliant and generous guy. Yeah. And, you know, just so thoughtful and and honestly does this so easily because he knows it so well. Um, And he, I have to say, was also just so... Um, it gave him a moment to kind of step back and say, look, I want to hear what you're hearing. But my goal was really just to sit and observe. And I would have to say, you know, Pete, in his generosity, he would say, are you sure you want to do something today? You want to do this? You want to do that? And I would say, nope, I'm just here to listen today. Um, And he would say, okay, well, that's all right. Um, And so it was, you know, his generosity wanting me to step up and do something else and my persistence in saying that's not why I'm here today. (laughs) Um, you know, it's funny. It almost sounds like how often do you say no to the invitation to eat? Yes. You know, and but that part of with this was you were committed to observing. Yeah, absolutely. And I really going in with an open mind that I there are lots of things I don't know. Um, trusting my instincts, but also being open minded. So um, I think this is a message to all of us to be brave enough to ask. And to say that's what we're looking for and to seek out those opportunities and also to recognize what a powerful opportunity for the people um, who are coming up behind us. And as um, one of the Wharton alumni said to me, you know, hand the ladder down. You can invite people to come and and shadow you as a way of learning, especially if you see that there's talent in your organization who you want to advance. That's great. Now, for people in that organization who want to advance talent or want to advance their own talent, how do they find this program? What do they have to do to get in? It's great. So first of all, they can go to the Wharton Executive Education website. Um, 
it's a little bit of a confusing path because we have two sort of discrete businesses at work. Yeah, and there's a lot that's awesome in exec ed. That's right. So you got to navigate that There's, on there's the so much. Um, it's an abundance of choice, quite honestly. But you're going to go to the part that says for individuals, and then you're going to look for executive development programs. So this is an open enrollment program. It is an open enrollment program. Um, and uh, there's lots of information on the website, um, some little videos, Lynn Craig talking about their approach to coaching, for example, um, descriptions of faculty sessions, a little bit of statistics about who has attended over time and what industries they come from and so on. And then there's an application process. And in that application process, we're looking to make sure that you are at the sweet spot for EDP to make a difference for you. Um, we typically don't want C-suite people in EDP. We have another advanced management program that's really geared towards people currently in the C-suite. And we don't want sort of middle management. We want upper middle management, right? And so we're looking at SVPs, VPs, um, whatever the designation might be in a particular organization. So the application process is meant to make sure that it's a good fit for you. That's right. So you don't need to be afraid of it. That's right. And also, I checked out the website today, and it seems like you can also make contact if you want somebody to coach you through the application process. That's right. We have a whole staff that will help you think about how to answer these questions um, and people who are more than happy to answer anything you might want to know. Patty, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a treat to get to talk to you about all of this. Thank you so much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.